Welcome to the Hot Route Football Podcast, the place to catch up on all football-related stories, opinions, and late-breaking news, as well as all major events in the sporting world. I'm your host, Jackson Wong, accompanied by the ever-bold and brash J.P. Mortensen. Morning, Thank J.P. Thank you for that intro, Jackson. Um, a lot going on in the world of football as the NFL is now a 52-week um, event. Um, we're obviously just coming off the Combine last weekend. Um, we have that to talk about. We have a lot of trade rumors and trades that just happened. Um, let's dive right into it, all right? Um, all right, so Combine season, truthfully, is my favorite time of the year. It means that mock drafts are coming, and that's that's really what I love about football. Yes, I love watching all the games, but it's like a whole nother season that we're in right now, and it's it's interesting just to see how things will play out. Well, if you're a fan of college football and a fan of the NFL, this is very exciting because you get to see exactly. where your favorite college players are going to get matched up with their your favorite NFL teams or your least favorite NFL teams, which is always heartbreaking. But Yeah, whenever I see a player go to the Packers that I want, I just I cry a little bit on the inside. Well, I bet that player doesn't because he knows he's not going to be a Lion. But You know, you didn't have to go that far, JP. That, like, that hurts. That hurts. At least I'm not a Bengals fan. That being said, they have the number one pick in the draft, and we're all pretty sure who we know it's going to be, obviously. Quarterback Joe Burrow from LSU, the Heisman Trophy winner this year. JP, can you just give me a couple thoughts on this guy and why you think he is going to be the number one pick? Well, uh, about your statement, at least I'm not a Bengals fan. I don't know if that's going to ring true after they get this guy, all right? Wow. Um, he is really, really something special. Like, obviously, he set the single-season touchdown record, um, ousting uh, Cole Brennan from the record books. Shout-out, Cole Brennan. Um, but I, I've watched him a lot this last year, as has most of America, because LSU was a, a buzzsaw that played a lot of games on national television and delivered in every single one of them. Uh, Joe Burrow, I've seen him make so many quote-unquote NFL throws this year. His accuracy was unmatched. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, he was the single most accurate quarterback prospect that they have ever evaluated. Um, there was a little bit of a controversy last week when he measured with nine-inch hands, but seeing that Patrick Mahomes has 9.25-inch hands, I think that's really nothing to worry about. And um, I have a hard time seeing him not bring some life and win some games with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um. That would be lovely. I truly love Joe Burrow because of his mobility inside the pocket. He's just otherworldly in being able to process everything around him. He'll notice a rusher coming off the edge, step up in the pocket, and then deliver a dime across the middle. He's You know who he reminds me of is um, Drew Brees at times. Really? Just a bigger Drew Brees? A bigger Drew Brees, but the accuracy comparison and the way that he is... Although not incredibly mobile outside of the pocket, the way that he's very quick and elusive inside of the pocket. Like, even if you're able to crash and beat your man and get there, like, it, it's still another challenge to get your hands on him and bring him down to the ground. Because it seems like he's always able to sidestep rushers. Um, he has a great feel for where the pressure is coming from and always seems to get the ball out on time. Well, that really, that's fascinating to me. Because if you think about it, who was Joe Burrow's offensive coordinator this year? Or, well, passing game coordinator. Who is it, Jackson? Joe Brady. Do you know From who the Joe... New Orleans Saints. Exactly. So, 
is it the scheme that's making him do that, or are they just they just happen to be similar players? Um, well, it, it doesn't really matter either way because if he's able to run a scheme like that, it means he'll be successful in the NFL. Bingo. And he can emulate some of the things that Drew Brees did. Or if it's just him doing that, then who knows what he's going to be able to do, you know? All right. I I agree. I couldn't have said it any better. Transitioning um, so to the there's next another guy. quarterback out there that um, we are in disagreement on, and that would be Justin Herbert. All right. So previously mentioned Joe Brady seems to have a type, a guy who's pretty tall or, well, this year with Joe Burrow has implicated that. Tall, mobile, arm talent. Who's that, JP? That sounds to me exactly like Justin Herbert. However, I agree with your take that we've talked earlier about, about Justin Herbert having a huge potential of getting a GM fired. Yeah, I think he has everything it takes in that department uh, in that he is tantalizing for GMs to look at in that his build... Um, his intelligence, um, his arm strength, and how he did in the tank top football Olympics in the combine. Oh, it was beautiful. He was just dropping dimes everywhere, perfectly lofted passes deep, showing off the arm strength. Honestly, that was the thing that made me go back and rewatch some of his film. And upon further inspection, I don't hate Justin Herbert. I hate Justin Herbert's offense. I think Oregon and just did everything it could to put him in bad positions almost. So I think he has the potential to change things in the NFL. Um, we'll see. Um, from what I saw, uh, nothing elite in the game film apart from his size. And even then, his frame, in my opinion, doesn't make up for his lack of athleticism. Uh, most... Recently, he played in the Rose Bowl, a game in which he had 136 yards of passing and an interception against a Wisconsin defense that was quite stout. Um, he did make two tacklers miss and ran for three touchdowns. However, I don't think that will work in the NFL. Uh, he played against a lot of Pac-12 defenses, many of which leave something to be desired. <laughs> and um, the times that he did play against elite defenses, as in Auburn and Wisconsin, he was he was pretty stifled, to say the least. So... I am not sold, and although he killed it at the Combine and I could see him having a great NFL career, I wouldn't draft him if I was a GM. Well, here's what I think. I think he could be a Ryan Tannehill kind of guy, a guy who gets into the league, maybe underproduces, disappoints, but gets to another stop and is able to put it all together and have one of the best seasons of all time like Ryan Tannehill. He actually had one of the best QBR performances in NFL history, believe it or not. And I think Justin Herbert has that kind of potential. Yeah, well, there's only only time will tell who's going to be right about this Justin Herbert take. Um, meanwhile, there's another quarterback out there who I think we're also in agreement with, and that's Tua Tagovailoa. He's an absolute stud. The Hawaiian stud from Alabama. Lefty. Only thing that really is concerning is his injury history. I'm not saying I'm concerned about this hip derailing his career. I'm just worried with the amount of injuries he's, he's sustained thus far. It seems like he's just injury prone. I know people have said that these injuries have no correlation, but there has to be something to the amount of times he's been injured. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest or fastest, but 
I'm not sure. He just seems as if he can get injured at the next level. Well, keep in mind, a lot of people have had no injury history, and then all of a sudden they get to the NFL and they get wrecked. Um, and the flip has also been true, you know. Um, all of these injuries, they were they were from a collision or one particular incident, you know. Um, they're, they're not long-term um, overuse-type injuries. So I, I think... I mean, only there's only one way to find out, but I, I don't predict that these will hinder his NFL career at all. And I think he, he will live up to the hype, and he's worth even trading up for. Um, I think he'd be a great fit in today's modern NFL, and he just looks like a quarterback that will – the quarterback of the future. I, I just feel bad. Way. I feel bad because it seems as if his, narr- his narrative is completely dominated by the injury, and it completely takes away from his skill, which he's demonstrated. He's – he was going to be the number one overall pick this year until he got injured, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, he'll still go top ten, so he'll still get those big bucks in his bank account, which well. will be able to take care of his family and whatnot. But he also has the poise, too. I mean, how can anyone forget his first real game that he got thrown into in the national championship when he single-handedly led his Crimson Tide? Against from- against who? Against who, J.P.? Jake Fromm and the Georgia Bulldogs. Yikes. Jake Fromm, yikes. That, that's, a, that's a conversation for later. But do you have any places where you could see Tua landing? Um, well, there's a lot of talk about him going to Miami at the moment. Yeah, that tank for Tua appear narrative. It that their Josh Rosen experiment worked out. Now, granted, they only sacrificed a second-round pick, so I still think that was a good move to I try. Agree. yeah. Uh, explore that avenue. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, he's a, the perfect placeholder quarterback. In fact, he could probably teach Tua a thing or two about the position and win them a few games, maybe let Tua have a year on the bench, um, do a Patrick Mahomes sort of deal. But I think that would be a great situation for him under Brian Flores. We've seen how he's able to get that team to improve from losing 43 to nothing to the Patriots at home to Week 17, beating them in Foxborough. I mean, that that tells you everything about the improvement that that team has undergone that last year. Honestly, it's kind of like a Disney sports movie with a team who starts out terrible, but then finishes really strong at the end under the leadership of this new emerging coach. Yeah, well, the thing is, this movie would be at the intermission because I still think they're going to be on the up and up for the next few years. And I think they have what it takes to be a perennial playoff contender now that uh, Tom Brady is probably going to be leaving New England. Do we have thoughts on that, Jackson? In late-breaking news regarding Tom Brady, it appears that he was at a basketball game with Julian Edelman, oh, Syracuse basketball game, where he, or Julian Edelman perhaps, to avoid tampering, received a a FaceTime from... Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Rabel, a former New England Patriot himself. Tom Brady has been speculated to perhaps be looking at the Titans as a team to join. Do you have any ideas or any thoughts on that, JP? Um, well, Derrick Henry, plus that offensive line, plus A.J. Brown, plus Tom Brady is a very scary combination for the rest of the AFC. Um... They were able to really get it done with Ryan Tannehill. Like they ran into the Kansas City buzzsaw, so that wasn't it. Bad really things tend to happen when you play the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. 
question is, would Tom Brady be able to elevate that team to a Super Bowl status? Um, I don't know about that. How do you feel about that, Jackson? I think he could. I think Tennessee is on a great trajectory. All they need to do is upgrade. Well, they they need to upgrade out a few spots. However, they don't really have any starters who are really that terrible. I can't really think of a really below average starter that they have. Obviously, they need to replace some talent on the defensive line, augment that for when Jarrell Casey inevitably starts to deteriorate. But I really like who they have. They have uh, Harold Landry. He's a really good edge rusher from Boston College. They have a plethora of DBs who are... Although none of them are superstars, they all are serviceable, and that's something to be said. That's yeah, with the Dory Jackson and the Jarrell Casey plugging up the middle. Logan Ryan, Jeffrey Simmons. They have a couple a good, good linebackers. Yeah, they have a really good roster. The question is, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, Ryan Tannehill was playing at a historically good rate. Um, and Tom Brady is forty, going to be 43 when the season starts. So is Ryan Tannehill the quarterback that you want to invest in for the future? And if he is, could you live with yourself? by investing in Ryan Tannehill over Tom Brady? I don't think the Tennessee Titans are looking really for the future. I think they think this is their window. This is when they can win a championship. So I wouldn't mind them going all in for maybe one or two years on someone like Tom Brady. And then this is also a franchise that has yet to win a Super Bowl. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, going all in for one championship, which is something that teams like the Chiefs or uh, even the Patriots are kind of hesitant to do. Like, it doesn't matter how long that championship window is open for. This team is the type that would go for it now, ASAP. I agree. So I think they would be all in on Tom Brady, but would Tom Brady be all in on them? Or does he have other options that would be better? Uh, An option that I've been looking at and I think would be a great fit um, would be Indianapolis. I like the idea of Indianapolis in principle. They have a solid O-line, a good defense. They seem like a great place for Tom Brady. However, are they the place for Giselle Bündchen? Do you think she would want to move to Indianapolis? I, I don't mean to say anything bad about Indianapolis. I've never been. I've only heard wonderful things about it. However, when you have a superstar supermodel as your wife, who perhaps wouldn't want to live in middle America, I think that might take the Colts out of the running, unfortunately. Well, here's an option that I've been thinking about, and it's scary how much sense this makes, but the Dallas Cowboys. Really? Yeah. Okay, elaborate on that. Sorry, this is fascinating, and I know we're taking a little bit too long on Tom, but he does this. Well... Jerry Jones has never been afraid to make a splash in free agency. Right? You can say that again. He always likes to go after the big games. Um, well, the thing about the Cowboys is they have that brilliant running game that it made Dak Prescott one of the leading passers in the NFL. Who knows what Tom Brady could do? He'd have all the time in the world. He would be able to sell the play action. Um, not only that, but if they choose not to bring back Dak, they would have the cap space to bring him in. Um, it would be a huge spotlight for both him and I think it would be able to keep Giselle happy because the amount of attention that would be on him on them as a couple um, would be tremendous. Jerry Jones would find a way to market that. 
Um, from an outside of football fit, I think it would be perfect. Like Tom Brady as a cowboy. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine the headlines, the amount of magazines and, and news news segments you could sell for that? But uh, from a football standpoint, I think there are better fits. But this is one that's been kind of on the rise, and it isn't too far-fetched, actually, if you really think about it. A team that I've been thinking about recently, especially in light of the recent trade talks, or actually deals that are being scheduled, the Los Angeles Chargers. I almost said San Diego, but, uh, geez. Yeah, they they really need some superstar talent to replace Phillip Rivers at quarterback. Moving into, well, it, it's the Rams stadium. They just happen to be playing in it yeah, also. Yeah, they do so fiery. They need something to get butts in the seats. Exactly. They can't have... 20% Chargers fans, 80% visitors every weekend like they had in, what was that little soccer field they were playing in? The Honda Center? Yeah? Yeah, the home of the LA Galaxy. Oh, the mighty LA Galaxy. Well, they- <laughs> I mean, that wasn't entirely the Chargers' fault. I think they got skewed in the media too hard for that. Because the reality is, because it was a 25,000-seat arena, those tickets, the cheapest ones, were about $190. Per every game so if you're a Chargers fan you're looking at that you know that's a if you want to bring your kids that game buy three tickets that's a $600 day and that's something that a lot of people just can't afford to do uh, especially eight times a year now granted if you were a Packers fan or a Steelers fan um, the Packers come there once every eight years okay now, although it's expensive you can afford to do that once every eight years and same thing with the with the Steelers who don't come there every year they come there once every few years so naturally they're going to be willing to splurge on $600 tickets more than the local Chargers fans were and that's why the arena got so skewed with the away team because a lot of people LA is a city where not a lot of that population was born in LA they come from other parts of the country and so naturally they're going to go and go out and support their team when they come to LA and they're willing to pay whatever price because it's just one game whereas the Chargers fans weren't as willing to do so however they do have this issue in that they are definitely losing to the Rams in the battle for L.A. I, um, I agree completely with that. That's a really interesting perspective. I really like that. That really contextualizes why the Chargers don't, haven't built a fan base in L.A. And I think the fan base, we're going to see, like because now there's going to be affordable Chargers tickets. So we're really going to get a gauge for the first time on how big the Chargers presence in L.A. is. Um, now, in terms of football, able fit. to get that stadium deal done in San Diego... Um, but we'll see if the move to LA is really going to pay off for them. Well, it will because of the luxury boxes. So financially, it makes sense for Stan Kroenke, or for not Kroenke, <laughs> so excuse me. Um, Spanos. Dean Spanos, yeah. Um, it makes sense for him to move because they were just losing, just hemorrhaging money every single year that they were in San Diego. Uh, Qualcomm but, was a terrible stadium, honestly. Well, it wasn't as, that it was that bad. It's just they didn't have the luxury boxes. It was... on. I don't know if you've ever been to Qualcomm. That that place was uh, outdated, to say the least. Certainly yes, in need of a and, facelift. And rumor has it that SoFi Stadium will have 160 luxury boxes. So that will bring in a lot of cash for wow. the NFL owners. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's going to make them a killing. Oh, it has two full rows. And all the way around. To get back to Tom Brady, if they bring him in, you can be assured that some of those luxury boxes are being sold out. No doubt, no doubt. And in terms of the um, football fit, I think Tom would be excellent in L.A. They have a plethora of playmakers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, 
if they're able to resign, or if they, want, if they want Hunter Henry, he's a free agent this year. And they also just swung a pretty interesting trade, trading for Carolina Panthers Pro Bowl guard Trey Turner in exchange for often injured or average tackle Russell Okung. So, well, you in, have to think with their first round pick, they're going to be looking for a left tackle. Maybe not a left tackle, but a tackle, definitely. And in this year's draft class, I think that's really, really good. This is such a deep tackle pool where I think the Chargers are in position to grab a franchise caliber left tackle to protect Tom Brady if they get him or whatever quarterback they choose in the future. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a fascinating fit. I just, I can't imagine Tom Brady wearing anything other than a Patriots jersey, but I'm starting to have to wrap my brain around it because I don't think he's returning to New England. We'll, we'll see, JP. We'll see. When we can only, we can only hope and dream that Lord Belichick's reign is finally over. Well, temporarily. I have to see it to believe it. Uh, I know, me too. It's, it's scary. So... All the way, we're going all the way back to Tua. Are there any teams that you think could use his services? Um, basically, any team with a hole at quarterback, I think he's going to be really good. So that would mean Indianapolis. I think the Redskins at two could grab him. I, I, oftentimes, you see when a change of uh, ownership or a change of uh, management comes, they like to bring their own quarterback in because, in reality, you get about a three, four year window to start winning. And if you do that, you don't want to have the excuse that I'm using a quarterback that isn't my own in Dwayne Haskins. I think they'd want to give themselves every opportunity to start to rebuild in the way that they want to see the franchise move. And I wouldn't be surprised if they take Tua at two. You beat uh, me to that point, guy, JP. <laughs> I think he could choose to go the Cliff Kingsbury route. Yeah, the Arizona Cardinals get rid of Josh Rosen, bring in Kyler Murray. I can see that happening, and honestly, I hope that happens because that means that I think the best player in the draft, Chase Young, will fall down to my Detroit Lions at number three. But that's besides the point. We'll get into Chase Young and the defensive players on another day. So back onto the quarterbacks. Now here's a project guy who has arguably the most talent in this pool. Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State. He has an absolute cannon of an arm, some mobility, but accuracy and decision-making were subpar, to say the least, this year. That being said, former Utah State running back and teammate Darwin Thompson of the Kansas City Chiefs said that he sees a little bit of Patrick Mahomes and Jordan Love. Do you think that could elevate his stock and convince a team to take a chance on this guy early on? Well, I mean, I've said it before. I've said it about Tua, but I think Jordan Love looks like a quarterback of the future in that he's mobile. He's got a cannon of an arm. Um, he's got guts in that he sometimes will throw some boneheaded interceptions, but he he can make all the throws that he needs to do. And that's not something that can be said about every single quarterback prospect. Um I think if he's able to get into a situation where he doesn't have to start immediately but can sit behind someone, um, maybe the Raiders or the Colts, maybe the Buccaneers, um, I think he could develop into something that's very much worthwhile in taking a high first-round pick in just a few years. 
I think he could kind of have the career trajectory of someone like a Josh Allen, a guy who came in with all the physical talent, but also these accuracy concerns. Both of these guys played at, well, relatively small Mountain West schools without huge amounts of talent at their disposal. So, in the NFL, his windows are probably going to increase. Yeah, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world coming from a prospect. You know, oftentimes you'll see players come from bigger schools where they're throwing to wide open receivers where they're able to have all the time in the world, but he had to really make things happen in this offense. And oftentimes it's struggling here that he did his sophomore year for that exact reason, because all these schools have a harder time reloading and he lost a lot of the talent that was around him, but he was still able to make do and have a pretty impressive year. Nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Perfectly put. Now back to another guy who has a lot of talent, but I think way less upside than Jordan Love. Jacob Eason, the quarterback out of Washington, formerly of Georgia, has an absolute cannon attached to his body. Guy who can, he can probably throw the ball over the mountain like Uncle Rico. Oh, no doubt. He, eh, except the coaches did give him the chances, all the chances he needed, but he still couldn't get it done. Well, to come back to the combine, when I was watching these quarterbacks, I was noticing Jacob Eason firing every single pass as hard as he could, and oftentimes that led to the ball sailing, making a guy who's running a little five-yard slant just have to sell out and jump to catch this ball, which would absolutely kill him in the league. I think that Jacob Eason needs to figure out how to be able to control that arm talent and not just fire lasers every single pass. He needs to be able to put some touch on the ball. And also, another huge concern, he does this whole thing where he loves to spin out to his left whenever there's any pressure. Actually, sometimes there are, there isn't even pressure. He just likes to roll out to his left, and he drops like 15 yards back in the pocket. And he's not the most athletic guy, so he gets tackled a lot. By and college lo- defenders. Yeah, he loses a ton of yards on that really dumb play it's it's almost like when you're playing Madden and you drop back to pass a lot of the time you just either go straight back and keep on going because you're trying to like press a button or you're just trying to like lean into the defense or you just throw it off your back foot and throw a wounded duck yeah that's Jacob Eason that's Jacob Eason for you now let's talk about the other Jake for a minute a guy who actually beat out Eason at Georgia, but is the complete inverse in terms of physical talent. Jake, I'm sorry, I, I'm i overly critical and overly mean. I was going to call him Jake the Noodle From, but he's a guy who has all the mental processing abilities, all the leadership skills, all those intangible things that you want from a quarterback. However, he has none of the physical attributes. Not even the athleticism, much less the arm. I mean, he ran a 5.0140, which is not that impressive. He was just a tiny bit faster than Mikai Becton, the 364-pound offensive tackle from Louisville. So, yes, Jake Fromm is not athletic. He's not... I'm sorry, I don't want to be overly critical because I don't know this guy. But he just doesn't have the arm that can make it happen in the NFL. 
If you watch him throw in college, he's throwing all over the middle, short crossers, or back shoulder throws where his receiver can adjust to the ball. He's not necessarily putting it in a position where his receivers can have huge yards after catch potential because a lot of the time, the defense is right there when the ball is. He just reminds me of someone like Kellen Moore, if Kellen Moore went to a big school. Now, granted, Kellen Moore is having a very successful NFL career. Oh, exactly. just not as a quarterback. Exactly. He's a coach now. There's always room for a guy who can understand defenses in the film room. And coaches like to have those guys stay around as third stringers or backups because usually they have something to add. Um, And much less after he's done playing, I think, yeah, like you said, he could have a career as a coordinator or a quarterback's coach, or there's always room for guys like that in the NFL. Oh, I agree completely. I think he's an absolute football intellect. However, not necessarily going to be the best football player in the NFL. I've seen him mocked as high as the first round, which I, which I was absolutely flabbergasted by. But I think he could last in the league for a couple years. Now, let's, let's move on and let's just talk about a few players that we think are going to be great. Some of our favorite prospects coming out of this draft. Uh, you want to start, Jackson? There are a lot of wide receivers that I love in this draft class. It's such a talent-dense pool. Guys like C.D. Lamb, Jerry, Judy, Donovan... Nah, nah, never mind, not Donovan Peoples-Jones. There's just so many. There's countless. Henry Ruggs, T. Higgins, LaVisca Chenault, my guy, Lynn Bowden Jr. I'm going to start on Lynn Bowden. So... This year, he was forced into playing quarterback for the Kentucky Wildcats after their first and second string quarterbacks got injured. So, Lynn was a quarterback in high school, but has been playing wide receiver at a very high level for Kentucky in the several years he's been there. When he took over at quarterback, he absolutely went off. He looked like Lamar Jackson running. He was so unbelievably evasive, and he just showed me some yards-after-the-catch skill or translatable skill that I haven't really seen in this draft class. He looks like a ship. He looks like a running back a lot of the time, but also with the shiftiness of a slot-wide receiver. It's a beautiful mix that I think can be really successful in the league. But back to the more conventional guys who we'll see at the top of the draft this year. C.D. Lamb, not the most overly athletic receiver, but at the combine, he proved that he's more than enough. He ran, I think, a 4-4-3, I believe, which is far better than everyone expected. And as we've seen on tape, all right, so I've fallen into this trap a whole lot, especially when I first started to get into scouting college players. YouTube highlight armchair GM evaluations. It's a trap that everyone falls into. It's an Look, entertaining trap. Oh, it's it's unbelievably fun. It's just watching the best plays of these elite athletes, sometimes not elite athletes, but just great or good football players. You see guys who rack up sacks, interceptions, all that 
all that kind of great statistical stuff, but that doesn't necessarily translate to on-the-field ability. I remember watching a cornerback out of Wake Forest by the name of Kevin Johnson, who you may know about. He's been an absolute bust in the league. But he was a guy who had unbelievable ball skills, length, but he didn't necessarily have any of the change of direction abilities necessary to play corner in the NFL. You didn't see any of that on the highlights. You never saw any of him making or getting burnt by a receiver on a little slant. All you saw was the vertical stuff where he can make a play on the ball because he knew what was coming. And that burns so many people every year. You have a guy who gets a whole lot of sacks because he either is playing terrible offensive tackles or he's just a little bit more explosive or he's old or something. Those he uses just one move. Yeah, those things don't... You can't do that in the NFL. So there's a guy by the name of Kilohi Kikaha. He's a defensive end out of Washington. I believe he led the nation in sacks his final year in college. As soon as he got to the NFL, that didn't work. He was a hand fighter. He didn't have any of the bend or natural ability. So you know where he's playing now? The XFL. A lot of times we look at these highly variable stats such as interceptions and sacks and even touchdowns and we equate that to, oh, he's good. You have to really look at these players in every single play and how they fulfill their jobs. And even the, there are a lot of videos where they'll, they'll cover one player for every play of the game, but they don't use the all-22 angle. You know, if he's a defensive back, you don't know what kind of coverage he's playing, whether he's inside or outside leverage, uh, whether even it's zone or man. Sometimes you can't tell if, if he's really blowing the route and the quarterback just doesn't see that he let the receiver get open or if he totally forgot that he had safety help and was playing the wrong type of leverage. Like, you just can't see those types of things. Um, and additionally, a lot of times those highlights will come from their biggest games. And we're dealing with 19 to 22-year-old kids, right, just like us. Um, they'll have good days, they'll have bad days, and you can't really judge someone who's very inconsistent, you know, who will have a game where they're God's here, another game where they just get burned and maybe even get benched. Like, there's a lot of those types of players that we're evaluating off of these YouTube clips. Um, we, as in the football community as a whole, um, and I think it's just a dangerous trap that a lot of fans will fall into and then get mad at their teams for not drafting the guys that they think are going to be superstars despite the fact that their actual game tape says otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, well, in this draft class, it's a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones who has all the athletic ability but none of the production. Although, yeah, we can pin some of that on a guy like Shea Patterson because he's... Or Harbaugh. Honestly, I'm blaming it more on Shea. I think Shea is yeah. a bad, just a That's bad fair. quarterback. But there's those kind of guys who maybe every other Saturday they will put up a play that 95% of college athletes, actually just athletes in general, could not do. But in all the other times, he's you don't see him on the field. You don't notice him at all. It's... Strange. It's almost perplexing to see. But well, to you build can't... off of that, the only reason why, well, aside from his name being 
quite fun to say, Donovan Peoples-Jones. DPJ. Why he's a household name in the first place is because of the helmet that he's wearing and the uniform, right? Um, and granted, I honestly, I don't see why we hold Michigan and Texas to the same standard in terms of the prospects that they produce as schools who have not only accomplished more in college football, such as Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, um, but have also produced better prospects. Um, despite the fact that scouting has vastly improved, uh, helmet scouting still exists to a large degree, much to the detriment of many NFL teams. Now, granted, many of the big-name Power 5 schools will accumulate talent um, through having better pools of recruiting, um, and additionally, athletes at Power 5 schools will be tested against better competition, both in practice and with the schedule that they play in their competition. Um, and they also likely have better facilities than some pro teams in <coughs> Cincinnati. <laughs> and um, maybe even better coaches than those at smaller schools, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're safe picks. Exactly. Um, now, this all all starts with high school recruiting, all right? Talent comes from all over the place. You can look at any NFL roster and read the schools that they go to. And you, one would think, based on all this pre-draft evaluation and watching football on Saturdays, that you would see all of these athletes coming from power. USC. Yeah, Power 5. Uh, Oregon, yeah. Uh, Ohio State, even like a Penn State, or sometimes like a Iowa, the occasional Mississippi State. But that's just not true. They come from all The teams the people normally play as in NCAA football video games. Exactly. Um, and it starts from the flawed recruiting system in that we evaluate players on their high school physique. So this is just scientifically proven, but most males don't start to fully develop until they hit college or even when they become upperclassmen. Um, to fully analyze this phenomenon, I turn to different sports that compete with more physique-driven results, um, such as swimming and track. And what these studies have found is that these athletes reach their peak performance around the age of 25, meaning that is the time in which their bodies are the best blend of strength and explosiveness. However, uh, this is not something that directly correlates to the NFL, as most players peak later, because although in football, as we know, raw physical talent is important, feel for the game and understanding of NFL offenses and defenses, and even techniques, take players longer to fully comprehend. And as Drew Brees said, in an interview of a month ago, he is the best mentally he has ever been in the NFL. It's just that his 40-year-old body is no is less good than it was 10, 12 years ago, but he's still able to be effective. Um, I mean, Jackson, you've seen it all the time. How many players just all of a sudden will pop off and have a Pro Bowl year when they're 25, 26, just because it takes them a little bit more time to not only physically but mentally develop? Oh, it happens all the time. You just have to hope that you're able to stick on a roster until you get to that point. Um, so, yeah, the fact that this system we have like separates 18-year-olds who are seven years from their physical primes into big and small football schools definitely leads to many athletes developing later when they are already at these smaller schools, much less many of those who are maybe superior athletically get getting buried on the depth chart, not having that experience that they need to develop into the players that they could have become. Um, and in this way, the talent spreads itself all over the college football landscape, and this is only made more apparent in the NFL. Now, granted, if you were a beast when you were 18 years old, you know, if, if you're like a, the equivalent of a Zion Williamson-type mixtape that you have on YouTube, you're probably, you're probably going, to be going to be an NFL player. You're probably going to be a pro. But this is not always the case you know there's a lot more to 
just being able to, to grab jump balls over high school defenders or make one cut and then just beat everyone to the end zone, which you see all the time on YouTube, because that's not something you're going to be able to get away with at the college level, much less the NFL level. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so to study this, I, I took a look at the Pro Bowl last roster from last year, and unsurprisingly, Alabama, Ohio State, and LSU had the most Pro Bowlers. But after that, um, finding elite talent is a crapshoot, and there's really no correlation to college. Like, for instance, um, Purdue and Central Michigan, well, I guess this one was two years old, had the same amount of Pro Bowlers because Antonio Brown was not a Pro Bowler this past year as schools like Michigan, USC, Texas, and Florida. Um, if you take a look at this list, Jackson, you'll see that some schools that had only one Pro Bowler in 2019, I'm going to read off a list, USC, UCLA, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, Harvard, Miami, Ohio, Utah State, Grand Valley State. State, Old Dominion, you know, some of these schools are not like the others, even schools with multiple Pro Bowlers. Texas, Texas A&M, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Iowa. So, granted, you will see that the Power Fives will produce more Pro Bowl talent. Like, that just makes sense based on the way that, yes, if you are good as an 18-year-old, you're probably going to also be good as a 25-year-old. But the fact of the matter is a lot of players that become great Pro Bowl, sometimes even Hall of Fame players, slip through the cracks when they're 18, end up at these smaller schools, get overlooked and drafted later, and then develop into the pros that they were meant to become. Exactly. So, um, basically, to conclude on all of this NFL draft show, uh, although it is very important, it is also a crapshoot. You know, like we can speculate all we want, but there's so many factors behind whether these players will become great pros or whether they'll become busts, and it's it's something we can only speculate on. And it's a crapshoot for even the GMs, but it's a very important crapshoot that can get them fired if they do a bad job at evaluating these guys. Well, you can do things that can help you improve your odds. And that, I think, goes back to watching every single play of these dudes, figuring out what they're doing, and seeing if they execute their roles. Interviewing them, figuring out their football IQs, figuring out what character they bring to the locker room. Yeah, exactly. Although, yes... Uh, the combine is not the most important thing in. It's actually probably the least important thing in this whole draft prospect or process. It really helps confirm what you see on the tape. So if you see a guy who looks as if he's just running past the competition at a small school, and then he runs a four six. You may have to re-watch that film and say, hey, maybe the guys he's just playing against are really slow. Or, conversely, you can have someone like Jerry Judy, a guy who on tape showed unbelievable change of direction ability and then at the Combine posted some absolutely terrible numbers. It's really strange. It just... it's You trust these prospects and their abilities but you need to verify. However, that being said, sometimes you just need to let the tape be the deciding factor. Some people are just good at football, you know? Yeah, they Even just, though oh. they're not blessed with all the athletic ability, they may be slower, but they can just figure out ways to get open. 
You know, mm-hmm. Jerry Rice ran a four seven one. He is also assisted by Stickum, but I cannot hate on Jerry. He was. An, I mean, the he, NFL was the slower, all but there's more important things like route running, um, football intelligence, chemistry, understanding yeah. concepts that the defense is throwing at you, where to attack them. It's. It's a game, and there are many different ways to win. However, you need to show that you can win. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get yacht. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's an understatement, to say the least. So, to wrap up this podcast, I really appreciate all that research you did, JP. It really was enlightening, and I appreciate that. Next, uh, well, I'm on spring break now, so we're going to be putting out a couple episodes next week. Finishing up the offensive we- oh, offensive weapons outside of quarterback and also the line. And then we can't wait to get into the defenders in this draft. Honestly, JP, I, I may just have a heart attack talking about Isaiah Simmons with how excited I'll get. He's he's special. Until the Lions decide to pass on him for some reason. Almost like a Chase Young. Yeah, I'd, I'd be okay with that. But you'll hear all that on future podcasts. We thank you so much for listening to this, and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Thank you so much. The Hot Route Football Podcast. Boom.